Let's turn to chapter 25 of the London Baptist Confession. Um, we've completed chapter 24, which deals with uh, the issue of civil magistrate. And uh, today we begin looking at the domestic issues. So we are away from the public, uh, public life, and now we are in the public. We are in the in the we are in the domestic domain. Chapter 25. We'll consider paragraph 1 this evening. I'll read. Paragraph 1 of marriage. Paragraph 1. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. Neither is it lawful for any man to have more than one wife, nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. As we begin this chapter, what can you point out in that first paragraph? What can you see and point out in that first paragraph? First paragraph. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting that when our early fathers wrote this paragraph, they did not have homosexuality in mind because it was not prevalent at the time. And so they simply, <laughs> they simply, um, um, they, they si simply indicated that marriage is between one man and one woman. Um, <coughs> But uh, this is something that is up for debate in this day and age, as Seth is truly said. So it is against polygamy. This is one man having many wives. It is against polyandry. That is one woman having many husbands. So it says uh, it's only allowed for one man to have 
one wife not more than one wife and any woman should not, not have more than one husband at the same time it's interesting in that part that obviously they didn't envisage the 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 the, the, the aspect of serial mono, uh, the uh, aspect of serial monogamy the aspect of jumping from one partner to another so it's not mentioned there but um uh, but, but that's what you have nowadays people live together for a while or people even marry and they uh they, they break off their marriage and they move to the next partner um uh, what the what the confession forbids is having more than one husband at the same time it doesn't forbid serial monogamy the jumping from one partner to another but obviously i don't think they envisage that that will happen in this in this century yeah <clears throat> anything else clearly tells us what constitutes a marriage marriage is between one man and one woman and the verses there will help us to to see further uh, god as the originator of marriage from genesis 2:24 see god is the one who it was the it was the first person who enjoined two people in marriage that is adam and eve and um God hates divorce from Malachi 19 uh, Matthew 19:5 and 6 again we look at that. <coughs> so the biggest issue that is left out in this chapter as well is the issue of divorce. If you look at the Westminster um catechism, they have two paragraphs talking about divorce in this chapter, but uh Baptist fathers decided to to leave that out and 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 you see they left them to they left them to pastors to teach their own view on remarriage and divorce but um we shall consider that nonetheless from from scripture uh, you can say divorce was not very prevalent back in the day and that is true but the confession here is very brief on the matter of marriage and I hope to expand on the on the definition of marriage uh, from scripture. Paragraph 1 does not define to us what marriage is. Paragraph 1 tells us what constitutes marriage. And so it matters to you to understand what marriage is before you enter marriage. It matters for children to grow up where they understand biblical marriage because marriage is the greatest gift you can give to your child 
And obviously there's a gross immorality in our society and it has become acceptable for people to live together without getting married. And that undermines the institution of marriage. So for, if I could ask, what is marriage? Especially the, 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 the men and the women who are married should, should guide us on that. What is, what is marriage? a union between a man and a wife sorry a man and a woman for the sake of glorifying God through <coughs> through their complementarity through their companionship to say that <coughs> I think that's that's a good definition the thing is left out is very important a covenant union and you shall look at what it what it means when you say it's a covenant union so <clears throat> we're told here what constitutes marriage. Marriage is monogamous. Uh, God commands that it is only one woman, one man. Any form of marriage that does not have one man and one woman, it is not a marriage. It is a perversion. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 24. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 24. Someone please read that. Shall 
So we see what's happening here. <coughs> God, um, <coughs> every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens um, is, is are under the mandate and dominion of Adam. Adam is giving every living creature its name. Uh, but something is not good because Adam is alone. You see, as much as Adam could enjoy and have fun with the animals, he could not have companionship with them because the animals are not made in the image and likeness of God. So Adam is lonely. Uh, there's, a, there's an aspect of, of, of him that... Uh, that, that is, there's, there's an aspect of his social life that is lacking, and God makes a helper fit for him. God causes him to to sleep, and God takes one of his ribs, um, and he makes Eve. Uh, and then we are given the uh, we are given God's command there in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife the idea of holding fast there to cleave is to attach very closely it's a picture of 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 the bone and the muscle that you are attached to one another that's the picture of the husband and the wife that they have left their parents and they shall become one flesh they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Any question, any, anything before we go on? <clears throat> anything that's not clear? So marriage is a very important institution in our society because it is the basic unit of the society. So that when marriage fails, the society crumbles. And um, marriage matters in the church for the glory of God because it is the reflection between Christ and the church. Marriage helps us to, to worthily reflect the communion that God has with Jesus Christ has with his son and so <clears throat> there's an aspect in this verse of commitment and the issue of commitment is repeated um, the idea of commitment is repeated in scripture when when he talks about um, <clears throat> the man leaving his father and his mother and to be united to his wife. The idea of leaving and cleaving, to be bound closely and tightly. And there's a natural, uh, there's a radical change in the nature of the relationship. So that when someone is married, 
they leave behind their father and their mother. And there's a change in the relationship. Relationship doesn't stay the same. So that if you're married, your father and mother cannot run your life. They cannot make decision for you. The wife is encouraged to look up to their husband, not to look up to their wife uh, to their parents. They should look up to their husband for guidance, for help, for companionship. And so this is a commitment. This is not dependent on feelings. This is not dependent on health circumstances. It is dependent on a choice. It's a decision two people have made. So it's not a disposition that I feel I love my wife today. It's a matter of I will. I will commit to love. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure, uh, uh, brother, you've gone through the marriage vows. Or oh, you haven't looked at them yet. Um, but those who have married... Um, exchange their married vows to to their spouses, and it it matters greatly because you're committing in the presence of God, in the witness of of the saints, in the witness of the church and the people that you're going to take this partner oh, this 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 partner either husband or wife to to and the only thing that should separate you is death sickness should not separate you poverty or riches should not separate you your feelings should not separate you and so there's only one thing that should separate us separate a man and a woman and that is death but there is an aspect in which marriage is conditional let's look at malachi chapter sorry let's look first at matthew chapter 19 matthew chapter 19 verse 5 and 6 someone can read Matthew chapter 19 verse 1 to 6. Pharisees are coming to him and we see very clearly here that God is the originator 
of marriage, Jesus Christ, who is God, quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, uh, in that passage. And he's telling them that God is the one who designed marriage. God is the one who decides how marriage should function. It should be one man, one woman. So these are the conditions of the covenant. When two are enjoined together, <clears throat> yes, they exchange their vows. Yes, they are in the presence of yes, they're in, in the presence of many witnesses. But essentially, God is the one who marries you based on the vows that you exchange to one another. So when people say, I do not need to marry, the important element that they are leaving out is the issue of the covenant. Because if you, if you define marriage and you leave out the issue of covenant, you're saying, I can live with my wife without exchanging any vows. The part of exchanging the vows is very important because when you're exchanging the vows to one another in the presence of witnesses, God is the one marrying you. God is the one enjoy, enjoining you together because you're doing it in the presence of God. You're invoking the name of God. So that when people say, I do not need to do a wedding, I do not need to exchange my vows, they're leaving out the aspect of marriage, that marriage is an oath-swearing promise. <clears throat> and then verse 5 and 6, and say, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. interesting that when God speaks over and over again about the issue of the marriage covenant he's speaking about it in heterosexual terms and in singular terms. He doesn't say man and woman or women and man. It is man and woman. It is singular. <clears throat> Another reason why I think polygamy is very wrong. Yes, it is unbiblical, but it is also unnatural. It is unnatural if we observe the human race. Men and women are born almost the same number in statistics. They say around women are about 50.1%, men are around 49.9%. So they are, it's, it's, it is marriage being a creation ordinance, it is natural, even for those who are not Christians. They know that they should marry. They should be, they're supposed to do that which is right. They should marry. And there are many examples in scriptures. Um, you, you, can, you can think of the, the patriarchs. Think of Abraham having other women, the problems that it brings to, to his home. Uh, th think of how Sarah mistreated Hagar. Uh, think of how Hagar abused Sarah, laughed at her. Uh, think of Jacob 
Rachel and um, is it, sorry, is it Re- Rebecca and Leah? And uh, obviously, Jacob did not will that he should have two wives. Uh, 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 he was forced on on them. Uh, uh, he was deceived by Laban. Um, but you see the consequences of it. Uh, Leah and Rachel, sorry, Leah and Rachel. You, you see the consequences of it that he has 12 children. Some are born by slave women. Uh, Jacob is not able to, to raise up those kids himself. Uh, you have the example of Joseph. Uh, they, they wanted to kill their own brother. So, so there's an aspect in which Jacob himself does not even raise these kids very well. Uh, there's an issue of favoritism. Jacob favors Rachel more than Leah. Uh, Leah feels neglected and such things. And, and you can look at many more examples. Uh, Jacob, um, David, Solomon. Solomon, you are told, he had how many wives? 7,000. Oh, 700. Sorry, I often confuse. 700 wives and 300 concubines. And we are told that those foreign women turned him away from God. Aspect of polygamy. So over and over again, we see the consequences of polygamy so that in the scripture, it's as if God is silent about it, but you see the consequences of it in the lives of those families. So that God does not prohibit it, but God does not approve it. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's turn to Malachi chapter 2 verse 15. Malachi chapter 2 verse 13. Uh, if you have anything to say, any question to say before you read this Malachi or any comment you can make. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. Any, any comment, question, or addition? Yes. That's a good question. Uh, we know what First Corinthians tells us. Any, any someone to to jump in on that? So someone is married and they have, sorry, someone prior to their salvation was married and had two wives. What is he supposed to do? Gets, gets a child or gets pregnant mm. when she's not married the consequence follows and cannot be avoided mm. you cannot run away from it so that 
if the lady gets pregnant she she can't abort she can't abandon the baby even though you no know, god is merciful and is able to forgive she has to bear the consequence of her sins and you that's the same thing with polygamy if you marry um if you marry more than one wife and then you become a believer in god's grace then you can't abandon them you, you can't abandon one and be left with one um you just have to bear the consequences of your sins and seek to live in in the most godly way possible now that that looks different in for different cases um yeah yeah but but the the word of god says and unless the non believer wants to doesn't want to live with you then uh then of course they will leave you but if none of them is unwilling to live with you you kind of have to bear the consequence of your actions you bear all the responsibilities um that comes with that and um and hope that god in his providence may in one way or another uh, lighten the body <coughs> Anything else to add on that? Yes, they should not leave their wives as uh, I as Pasi is saying. You see um God did not design marriage to be polygamous and if if you see someone willfully um choosing to be polygamous um that is not that's not God's design for marriage you, you you look at the patriarchs and they suffered greatly because of those decisions uh even their own reputation was is blotted because of many wives you know uh, you read of david there's a time um he flees and i can't remember who was it his son who slept with his women and those women had to be set aside and like the issue of polygamy it does tarnish their 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 own character their legacy as you see even, even as you see in scripture that this is not how god designed things and polygamy will never work it will never work and so such a person who is polygamous um and has become a christian yes i think i think it's 1 corinthians 7 which uh, clearly states what um what is required of them they should not leave their wives sorry that is polygamy i think it is Again, we have to say that there is no one size fits all answer to these questions because they are they have to be dealt with in a case by case um, kind of fashion. 
Um, because you see, we have to ask is she a believer? Um, how did she find herself there? Um, so, so that we may know how to deal, deal with it. But if you just look at a general case where, um, let's, let's use the case that Anthony has given and assume that it's the husband who has married both of them and he has become a believer and there is no indication that both the wives are believers um, then they both they, they both would be under his rule um, he would be providing for all of them and, and the children, if there are any. If the co-wife happens to be the believer, um, it's unfortunate. When you pass in any polygamy is is not in God's design, it shouldn't have happened. It's, it's, it's a result of sin. So that if she becomes a believer in that that context then kama husband yake anataka kuishi naye anaishi naye kama hataki kuishi naye anamwacha you can hear the difficulty in my in my speech to be able to deal with it because um, you have to kind of consider so many aspects um, so that you know how best to to give counsel to such a person but then the word of God is not silent on something like if the husband becomes a believer or the wife becomes a believer. Um, yeah, which is all I, I believe we can say. Yeah, yeah. anyone else can, can, can jump in.
in the same way, quite um, ambiguous. It's not very definitive as um, So you find that there are many people, um, and, and one of the people I was arguing with that I went to research is arguing that it's not prohibited as Anasli is saying. Um, <coughs> but at the same time, it's also very clear the effects. Uh, the effects, like the story of Solomon, the story of David, the story of Jacob, all of them you see the effects of the detriment of it. In Genesis, you see one, 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 one. Um, but at the same time, I was getting the sense in which that maybe in the culture and in extension of Moses, was it really prohibited? Because you read these stories and it's like they, they just did it. If you get to my question, like, Kama, Kama Jacob, I agree. He was deceived, right? Mm. He worked and then exchanged your layer for mm. for Rachel. Mm. Um, but at the same time, if if it was really about being monogamous, mm. then you would have said, "Let me stay with with the one who married." Mm. But he worked so that he can get the one whom he wanted, mm. knowing very well that he would have two wives. Yeah. So hence, hence my question. Um, was it really was it prohibited in that time? Because I think in the New Testament, uh, it's it's not very it's, it, apart from that example of Christ and, and the numerous examples of one woman and one wife. It's, you don't really see examples of polygamy, and the people who advocate or who try to sell polygamy use all these examples. People in there. Old Testament. Yeah. The question I guess is that and how do we respond to such things? I, I from the way I see the scriptures, it is prohibited. And and you see if we argue from that premise and say that Genesis one uh, Genesis one, Genesis two, um just gives us what should be done, that it should be one man and one woman, and there is no prohibition therein, then we would be making a very, a very big theological error. Because what if, um, what if, what if someone says, God made Eve for Adam, but God did. God didn't say whether whether you know Cain could marry another man. The the command, or rather, the the statement is just given positively, and there is no you know there is no prohibition as such. But then that's that's not how we we look at the scriptures, because when God says that, therefore man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, while he's giving us m what marriage is, everything else that is not that is being prohibited, and that's how we should we should see it. So, so that while God is not directly saying. Uh, uh, one man should marry one woman and one woman should marry one man in the very um, ordaining of this 
institution that we call marriage, granting this creation ordinance, when he says that uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, when he says um, Adam was alone, therefore it makes him a helper suitable for him, everything else that does not look like that is prohibited. Now, the way theologians have understood the issues of Abraham and, and the issues of Jacob is that they were sinners. Now, who was the first man to be polygamous? You know who was the first man? Yes? Yes, Lamech. It's given to us in Genesis chapter 4. And he's not presented in a very good light. And, and so... The, I think when we come from the premise that it was not prohibited, we completely miss the point of Genesis chapter 2 when marriage is being instituted. Um, which is why I think that that's where Pasi has begun. Um, when the institution of marriage is set, everything else that does not look like that is prohibited. So, so that, you see, when we, if we want to jump to the consequences of what Abraham did and um, David and Jacob and all these men, you see, when we jump to those consequences, we forget that fundamentally it's because they did this thing that God is not approving of. Um, so, so that the way we are to see Jacob and Abraham is that these men are sinners. And you know people use the, the, that same argumentation to say that there are instances where you can lie because Abraham lied about his wife and you know, supposedly it was not a lie because Sarah is, is you know, half-sister half worker. But then Abraham lied. And, and we see the consequences of his lies. They boil down to his, his children. Um, yeah, so... I think that while the Bible doesn't tell us that one man should marry one woman, the very institution of marriage in Genesis chapter 2 uh, prohibits everything else that is not one man and one woman. So, so, that, so that the consequences in Napata Jacob na Abraham is in Akujaju Hawaja Abide to the institution that God gave of one man and one man. I think it would be safe for you to say it is we see it happening in scripture but it is not approved of God. It's as if God allows it to happen but he doesn't approve it. Just like divorce. Jesus and Manini uh, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses akalau muhab divorce. But God in the beginning akutaka divorce. So God allowed it even though he didn't approve of it. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's a good question. I think uh, people have various views on that matter. And um, I, I would say this is a creation ordinance. It is very clear. It is ingrained in the heart of every man that there's a, there's a Sabbath rest, there's the lost day, there's an aspect of work and the aspect of marriage. If, even though 
uh, scene has obscured it, but it is still clear. And you look at a uh, man throughout history, they've always married. And the understanding is you're marrying one wife, marrying one woman. Um, let's turn to Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. I think let's read this and then uh, if someone has anything else, we will discuss. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 to 16. To 16, yes. To 16. Someone please read that. Yes. Sorry, we was 13 to 16. Sorry, 13 to 16 of Malachi chapter 2. <coughs> So they are coming to God in tears, as it says there. They are making sacrifices to God. They are trying all, but God is not listening to them. And they want to know why. Why is God not listening to us? And God says, this is why, verse 14. Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? So God has been watching and this is what he sees. So the Israelites were finding young, fresh women, marrying them and ditching their wives. And so God tells them they forget his blessings. Because marriage ought to be a commitment. Marriage ought to be continuous until death do you part. I'd like to speak on an aspect of marriage being conditional. Why do you think marriage is conditional? Why is it not 
unconditional covenant i think that's a difficult question let me put it this way what defines marriage or how do i put this or let me just say the marriage covenant should be defined and it is defined by um cohabitation and sexual faithfulness so that if those two things are broken then the marriage covenant is is can be annulled if i can say that can be annulled um so <clears throat> so you're swearing to the terms of the covenant when you stand before the witnesses and you make your marriage oath and vows you're promising to live with this person that is cohabitation so marriage is defined on one hand by cohabitation till death do you part that is you are cleaving together but on the second part marriage is defined by you saying that you're going to keep yourself pure unto your spouse that is sexual fidelity sexual faithfulness so sexual relationship should only be preserved between two people that is the husband and the wife it is a conditional covenant it is not unconditional because these two things can break your marriage the desertion of one of the partners or the unfaith sexual unfaithfulness of one of the partners so those are the two grounds that break the marriage covenant and the violation of those two terms violates the covenant so it's not unconditional covenant it's not it's not like when you marry you never go out of it these two aspect if your spouse deserts you um we see from 1 Corinthians 7 notice says then if they desert you and they are non believers you can marry um if you if you if you if your partner cheats on you and you forgive them but you're not willing to continue living with them you're persuaded obviously divorce should not be the way but i you know there are so many matters in that but you dis- it's decided that you're no longer together uh, that's an allowance for it so marriage is not unconditional covenant when the terms are broken the ground is set for the dissolution of the covenant so god said those two things cohabitation and fidelity when either of those terms are broken marriage union is defined any question comment I think it's important to say that there are people who believe in the permanence of marriage that marriage cannot be cannot be broken by anything whatsoever and they seem to interpret those passages um where Christ explicitly says unless unless they have been unfaithful yeah you shouldn't divorce them They, they seem to interpret those passages as in a different way 
than than the plain meaning of the text. Um, while we are saying, sorry, while we are saying that um, marriage is conditional, that it's not it's not as though it cannot be broken. We we are also we also believe that more room should uh, not more room a, a large um, a, a large percentage of the Christians' attitude should be to forgive the way God forgives us, so so that when we have an instance where there is unfaithfulness in a marriage we do not immediately encourage the the parties to divorce we try as much as practically possible to convince them that forgiveness is possible um, and it, it's possible to the extent where they they can live with one another and then i think when you write that um, there are instances where I'm gonna feel I can't, I can't. I'm not willing to be with you, and, and the Bible does does give uh, does give room for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. someone who says your passage in Asema 2 they are mine I can say that this is my own my own wife and this other one is my own wife <laughs> well yeah but, but then you, you, you understand that it's gymnastics, gymnastics in the text, which doesn't quite make sense, but people will have the audacity to do that anyway. Um, so, so there should be commitment in marriage. Um, <coughs> the, 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 another marriage should be continuous until death do you part. That, that's the ideal. That is the design of God. Um, but I like to talk about the issue of consent. Um, you see, it's possible for you to be committed in your marriage um, and live and live continuously with your husband without having given your consent to marry this person. And you have that mostly in the Eastern culture, where the, the, the issue of the planned wedding. Um, 
who, who should give consent to to marriage who should give consent to marriage Yes, the party is getting married. Who else? Yes, the parents of both spouses should give consent um, to, 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 to the marriage so that when the father or the guardian of the daughter takes her and places her into the hands of that man. This is a symbolism that the father is saying, I'm the representative of this family and I give you my daughter as consent to marry her. So therefore, consent is needed on all four parties, the bride, the groom, and their parents. Uh, We have a wonderful passage in Genesis 24 will not look at that. Uh, we see all families, all four families, um, giving consent to the marriage of Rachel and Isaac. Abraham, sorry, Rebecca, no, Rebecca. <laughs> so Abraham is, sends his servant to, 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 to his, hey, to who? To Laban, Bethel, is it? Bethel or Laban? Laban, yes. And, uh, Yes, for Isaac's wife. Yes. Yeah. Was it Bethel or Laban? Laban is the father of Bethel. Yeah. It's Bethel. Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Verse 29 of chapter 24. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. So we see Laban giving consent for his daughter to be married to, to Isaac, as well as the family of Isaac giving approval uh, in marriage. So there should be consent from both families. Question, comment before we close. So that as a husband, if the father's daughter or the father's guardian, you were handed handed him to her, handed her to you during the wedding, it's a symbolism that the father is trusting you with with his daughter and uh, and the symbolism for that of course an obvious thing and mm-hmm. will come up 
Yes. Especially in our setting, mm. I think the things, well, a couple of things, but the most obvious things are things like bodies and things like classism and mm. material wealth and such things. And because of those things, our parents, the, the father of our daughter will refuse, right? Mm. Um, I, I don't know whether it will be safe to say that. As long as it's biblical, then you honor in God. Then men can be saved. It's okay to, because it's not all the time the father is concerned, right? I, I may come to, to for example, uh, like my wife's father, before we got married, and and he refuses me for one reason or another. Maybe thinks his daughter should marry a fellow camper. <laughs> or his daughter should marry someone who is wealthier <laughs> than me. For whatever reason, people have reasons. Yeah. Um, I think it would also be safe to say in those scenarios, though difficult, um, though I should seek to convince the father every way that I can, um, that may come to a point where you say may come to a point where rather obey God than money. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Especially now for the daughter. Um, because I think the daughter the daughters are usually the ones put in that hot seat alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they may have to disagree with their father. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it happens uh, a lot. Yeah. Um, not all the times where there's not mm-hmm. unity. So there's that aspect of ungodly parents and there's also an aspect of um, you can have ungodly children as well, Sandio, so that um, parents should walk with their daughters, should seek to protect them even from, from harmful people uh, in, in, their, in their walk to marriage. Yeah. I think we should, we should very strongly say that um, children should honor their parents because you know people hear that and and then and then they you know, and then they conclude that but but the Bible says that we are to honor our fathers and mothers we are to listen to them we are to submit to them the way God requires us to submit to them and, and you have that um, account of submitting to one another in Ephesians where wives submit to husbands children submit to parents and servants to masters and, and that one for children they are to honor they are to submit to them unless unless the parents are requiring sinful things ungodly things it's in those instances that children can say, I don't think I can submit to you in this way because your authority is delegated. Um, because you find instances where parents legitimately uh, don't want their children to get married. They're not requiring anything ungodly. They're not telling them that they will never get married. They're just saying that they have reservations and children should honor that. Um, 
in in so far as the parents are not requiring sinful and godly things they should be honored because god has given them them that position of authority mm. um and that's what we do with the wives to their husbands and with the um servants to their masters yeah on the same question I'm just struggling to find it clear now in a situation like that because I think we've had a, okay I don't think it was the same issue but issue in a, if you look at it you think it's main like my my actually have a friend who whose parents are really particular about who she's dating because they are very careful so that she's not married to say I know their kikuyus so she's not like one attacker if she brings someone home away from from the household mm. so that the parents are very particular about who she dates you know, those are ungodly requirements mm. yeah so, mm. so okay yeah, yeah. okay I'm, i'm saying where there is difference of opinions okay uh, you you realize that where there is difference of opinion the one in authority uh, is superior for lack of a better word yani um the one in authority is the one who should be yielded to in instances of opinion mm. like the opi- if if i have my own opinion and my parent has their opinion the opinion goes fast because they are the one in the position of authority mm. okay um, like now i'm just an example. so i'm thinking for someone who is like 20 mm. like i'm 20 years old i live in my parents house in is this person i want to marry and maybe my father feels like no you need yeah, to yeah. go to school yeah so that is an opinion that i could honor yes because your parent can say i feel like you're immature okay. i feel like you're not yet there hmm. and you see it's, it's not for you to say that now that is sinful it's not sinful mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. your parent legitimately thinks you're not you're not old enough or you're not mm-hmm. mature enough mm-hmm. so it's up to you to prove to them or to bring them on board to try and convince them by the way I can do this it's possible uh what are you afraid about is it that i haven't finished school then i'm going to finish school is it that this person does not have work they're going to look for work they have like it's upon me as as the as the uh, one um, who is a child to convince my parents that even though they have their opinion and their opinion is is valid and you know and 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 reason, to me appears unreasonable and it come convince him win over there's a goodbye to the idea because you also have people whose parents today think but you can't marry when you mean unless you're 28 you yeah unless you're 28 and you see opinions like those are might be unreasonable but then we don't just say ah you're unreasonable mintenda kumari we try and win them over we try and bring them on board we try and show them that this is actually possible uh yeah yeah if, if it means waiting we wait we wait we and, and and there's a way there's a way when we honor god um god makes just god makes things happen um so that ukiwa una try to convince your parents and you're being godly with the whole the whole thing god has just a way of moving in his mysterious ways mm. in convincing um convincing people of things that we cannot by our 
kungangania our own our own rights mm. yeah Firstly, I'd like to talk about wedding being public. Um, a wedding, if someone was to tell you that I was baptized secretly. See, that person, that person, that person, that person, you had a shower, that's not, that's not baptism. You see, you must marry in the public. Um, you cannot be baptized in secret. If you baptize yourself in secret, that is a shower. What makes marriage is not the church building. It is not that it is conducted by a licensed minister. It is because there's commitment with continuous, with consent, with witnesses in the presence of God. It should be public. So if, if, for instance, you fear, uh, do, uh, you, you, fe- uh, you, do, you do not like to be, uh, how do I say this? You, you, you want to do things hidden, uh, th- then that's, that's, that's unbiblical. Because we see very clearly in Malachi, God is telling them, I was a witness when you committed treacher- treacherously. Um, it should concern you that when two of you were getting married, God was there. You invited him as a witness. And whatever wrong thing you do, God is saying, I was, I was witness when you did all that. So <clears throat> marriage should be public. And um, it, people should know that you're married. Uh, it, it, should, it, it is good for the community to know that you're married. It is an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed. Any question before I close in prayer? Can you choose not to marry? Um, no, you cannot choose not to marry. Unless it's a calling. If you're called, it's it's not it's not a decision. You didn't choose, you didn't decide. Just like in ministry. If God calls you into ministry, it's not like I decided to go into ministry. No, God called you. So the same case with celibacy. Uh, there are those people who are gifted to be celibate. They are very rare men. I haven't known, I don't know of anyone here in Kenya when you are called celibate. Yeah. In the Bible. Who? Jesus. Oh, Paul. Yes, Paul, for instance. Yes. Yes. But, but I think, maybe to clarify his question, could there be a reason why you don't want to get married? Maybe there could be something legitimate, isn't there? Yes. Or illegitimate, yes. I'm saying that because many young men today don't want responsibility. So Takikua. Yeah, we have seen that marriage is a Yes.
Yeah. Uh, especially in my community. Yes. Kenya, then it has to be. Isn't it? Mm. Well, you see, it's not as though the state determines whether you're married or not. <coughs> Isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can get married without the state being involved and you be legitimately married. But then it wouldn't be legal because you live in a country that has laws and regulations. Are you asking for believers or others? Just others. Because for believers, I mean, believers want to do the way believers do it. I don't expect them to when any believers say, I'm going to preside over it. But believers want to do it the way Christians do it. Um, but, but then we realize that there are others who are not believers and marriage is not just for believers so they can get married traditionally they can be joined by those others and it will be marriage because they maybe they have their parents the parents have come and they have joined they've joined them they've accepted them to be together the, the thing with that is that they still have to go through the legal process for the government to recognize their their union the laws of the land that they live in. Like Jacob there are all those things. The parents just meet, they agree, and they get married. And it's it's a marriage. But then because now we live in a country that has a constitution, that even Christians you realize come na witnesses, na tuseme vows like but then because we live in Kenya there's a particular way marriages are legalized so we go through that process as well even as Christians we had not yet but I think I now have a good grasp of it Yeah, I like to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Those people, yeah. let's say for example, they are not believers and they become believers. They are married. They are still married. Yeah, when you feel, you have to do your church. You have to renew <laughs> such things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I say my church. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 